snag you, right? Don't let that stop you dead in your tracks and give up. Just keep pushing through it, keep pushing through it, keep keep reading it, and then maybe find in another resource to to back you up and and, and fill in those gaps. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors, the podcast where I bring in fascinating people from my world, talk about life, data science, sports analytics, content creation, and much, much more. I'm your host, Ken G. If you haven't already, we'd greatly appreciate it if you gave us a rating and followed the show. It helps us to continue to bring in incredible guests. This episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors is powered by Z by HP. HP's high compute, workstation grade, line of products and solutions. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Harpreet Sahota. He's a friend, a father, a data scientist, and fellow content creator that hosts the Artists of Data Science podcast. He also has built an incredible community around his twice-a-week data science office hours. Harpreet mentors over 2,500 aspiring early career data professionals because he wants to see them level up in this field. He holds himself personally responsible for their career advancements, by providing the best quality mentorship and technical guidance. Harpreet is also constantly learning and is not intimidated by the prospect of applying newly learned tools to big, messy, complex, real-world problems. He's doing this with some deep learning right now, which I think is really cool. In this episode, Harpreet talks about the power of reading, how he faced himself and changed course when he started going down the wrong path. We also get deeply philosophical about purpose, work, and growth. I hope you enjoy. Harpreet, thank you so much for coming on the Ken's Nearest Neighbors podcast. You have an incredible data science related podcast also, The Artist of Data Scientist, which is a data science, which I've been on and I really, really enjoyed. You've also had some incredible guests there. And I'm glad that we could kind of do this podcaster to podcaster, talk about our experience in yeah. data science and, and go down this journey. How are you doing today? Good, man. Good. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's uh absolute honor to be on the legendary kenji's podcast man so thank you very much thank you well it, it's 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 due it's past time you know we talked about this for a while and as you know i am i could be a little more organized i think so i'm, I'm really glad that we got in to do this today yeah man absolutely yeah it's a pleasure to you i'm excited for the conversation Hell yeah. So let's kick it off in normal Ken's nearest neighbors fashion and just right. start to get you to know you a little bit uh, better. The first thing I, I like to get to know about people is when they first got interested in data. Was it mm -hmm. this kind of spark that ignited or was it this slow progression where you realized, wow, this is such a this is a cool field and I've been doing this for a while? Yeah, I mean. Is, is data the same as math? Because I was always interested in math, right? So the math part, I, I started getting interested in that, you know, kind of towards the end of my undergrad at Cal State Fullerton. Like, you know, I started taking a lot of math heavy economics courses and that's when I really got turned on to like statistics and stuff like that. It was really fascinating. Um, but then I didn't really fall in love with it until I was teaching it at like a high school level. So I was teaching math at this place called options for youth which is academic recovery for like the badass kids who got kicked out of high school trying to get back into school and and you know things like that and i started teaching math to these high school students and i was like oh man this stuff is awesome i love it i wonder what i could do with this math stuff that i know that can make me money and uh it, the back then right so this is like 2007 2008 whatever it was back then the sexiest job was actuary so i was like 
that I'm going to be that thing. I'm going to be an actuary. Uh, so I went on this path. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to you know, become an actuary. So that involved me having to first go back to school um, because my GPA from my undergrad at Cal State Fullerton was abysmal. It was horrible. Like I skated right by. And that's just because I was an idiot. Um, but yeah, I started, uh, started like taking math again from like the ground up taking it from like pre-cal calculus. I had to take all that stuff over because I needed to make up those grades. Um, and yeah, and from there, just started getting more and more into it, more deeply into probability theory, which became the thing that I absolutely loved as, um, you know, studying for the actuarial exams, one of the first exams you take is exam P, which is just all probability theory. And then from there, yeah, just, it's just the math, man. I think it was the math before the data. Like the data stuff, like I started getting into like, tech and data that was just like three four years ago uh, for me it was always about probability and mathematics i love it you're just always doing the math man yeah um, exactly <laughs> david goggins yeah, yeah, exactly. the math, man. <laughs> oh i love that so for those who don't know our preet and i are both big david goggins fans and yeah. one of the things that he talks about uh with some of the some of the challenges that he does a so pull-up world record or something along those lines is People look at these things as insurmountable obstacles. And what he does is right away he does the math and figures out how many pull-ups he has to do in an hour, how many pull-ups he has to do in every minute, and whatever it might be. And obviously, we'll talk more about the metaphors associated with that with yeah. data science later. Um, something I did want to say that I really liked about that short story was that you found out what you liked, and then you looked to see how to monetize it, right? Yeah. It's like, I yeah. like this math stuff. How do I how do I turn this into a profession? How do I turn this into an income? And I think a lot of people get wrapped around it in the other way is they see this data science profession and they see that it makes a lot of money, it's the sexiest job, whatever, and then they want to get into it. It's 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 not that they have this either aptitude or interest and they're getting into it. It's more about the the shining lights and and flashy colors uh, and then the price tag. And I think that that makes it really difficult. Um, to to continue on if you didn't have that base interest like the one that you described. Yeah, man, you need that intrinsic motivation for the to learn the thing in order to keep propelling you forward, right? Like if you have that carrot in front of a stick thing, like that's not going to keep you propelling and keep you moving forward, right? Like even all throughout grad school, like I had trouble in grad school, right? Like the first semester, I almost flunked out. Um, you know, there's a bit of a transition moving across the country into somewhere different, no friends, no family, whatever. And it was hard on me. And if I didn't have that motivation, if I didn't have that love of mathematics, of probability of statistics to keep me going forward, I don't think I would have stuck with grad school. I would have been like, oh, fuck this shit, man. This is not, I'm not going to do this. This is not worth becoming an actuary. Right. Um, so yeah, you need to have that intrinsic motivation for sure. And love the thing. That that's this is going to be going on a segue, but I think it's really important that the intrinsic versus extrinsic. So I think in some research, intrinsic motive, extrinsic motivation, where you're motivated by outside things like like money or status or whatever it might be, they can help in very like specific tasks where it's like, hey, uh, I'm going to pay you a hundred dollars to put a hundred marbles in a bin, right? right. But it's a very concrete, very well bound. But for these concepts like learning a new field or 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 pursuing a profession extrinsic motivation totally kind of takes the cake here are yeah. there ways to transition from 
or, or that you found to transition from this extrinsic to intrinsic or develop intrinsic motivation for something. I think that that's something that um, that is important to realize that, hey, it's possible to develop this. You don't you don't always just necessarily have it right away. Uh, are there factors, levers that we can pull associated with that? I think it's just convincing yourself that this is something you want to get good at, right? Because if, if it's something really difficult, but you're like, shit, man, this is, I find it fascinating. I find it interesting. It's tough, but I want to get good at it. And I want to learn it because it's so interesting and so fascinating to me. And I think that kind of helps boost that, you know, intrinsic motivation. Um, whereas if it's like, okay, well, I want to learn this thing because if I learn it, then I will earn this much money. Or if I learn it, then I could show it off or do something with it. Like that's probably not the right way to approach it. Right. So for example, like, right, like I'm, I'm reading this book, deep learning, like I'm getting really into deep learning. It's something that I really want to get into, but I'm not getting into it just because like, I just want to earn a bunch of money and, you know, do this and do that. Right. I'm le- I'm going through it. I'm like, this is fascinating stuff. It's difficult. It's challenging, but I actually enjoy it. And I want to get good at it. So that's going to just keep me going. It's just that the desire to want to get good at it. I don't know if that really answered your question or not, but that's kind of how I think about that. I think it does. I think that at least for me, intrinsic motivation has always been very intimately tied to curiosity mm-hmm. and the more, and, and also introspection, right? If you're looking at, okay, why, you know, I want to land this job that makes a lot of money. Why do I want that for stability, for support? Okay. Let's take that another level deeper. Why do I want those things? Okay. Well, you know, maybe, uh, growing up, I didn't have as, as much of a support system and okay, well, like, you know, knowing that feeling, how do I connect that to either this field or, or to some of these other things? I think that, um, when we look at things on the surface level and we don't dive kind of deeper into your conscious and, 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 and think about these things at a very personal level, um, it's it's really hard to make that that transition if you're not kind of peeling back the layers and it's hard to do without a doubt um it's hard to understand who you are and what you like uh but that effort in my mind it unlocks this thing this ability to attach intrinsic motivation to a lot of your goals and that can carry you you unbelievably far absolutely man absolutely like just just as i said having the ability to just hype your own self up for something dude like who needs a gas station you got all the fuel right here you know what i mean like it just it just you just keep going keep keep working at it um but yeah definitely man you'd articulate more, that far better than i could though. i don't know about that. <laughs> some more david goggin and influ- uh, david goggin's influence i think one of the things to me that's really stood out is that you know everything that you're doing if it's training for something else like i look at working out or I look at uh, studying data science as me building up the skill set of learning or, or health to be able to tackle whatever challenge comes my way. And so even if I don't know what my life's goal or mission is, everything I'm doing, I know is preparing me for whatever that is. And, you know, like someone's life mission might be to like excel at data science and solve, you know, a, a problem maybe related to a pandemic or whatever it might be. Um, but someone's life mission might be like Elon Musk and to be to put people on the moon. Like it doesn't matter what your life mission is if all if everything you're doing is in line with getting to there. You don't even have to know what it is now. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that because 
like I say that to myself quite often. I'd say that to my wife too. I was like, I'm doing this thing. I don't know what it's going to turn out to. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I know that the effort I put into this thing or this task somewhere down the line in some way that we can't even imagine, like it will pay off. Like it will, something will come of it. Right. Like, I don't know what it's setting me up for, but it set me up for something. Right. Like I started, you know, I started doing these, I started, you know, mentoring at a science dream job, whatever. And all of a sudden that turned into me being a podcast and me having these open offers. Like it just set me up for so many different things. Just this ability to just get in front of a microphone and not be afraid of any question that comes at me. Cause I don't care if I sound stupid or, or whatever, I'll just answer it. Right. Uh, like I just went off on a tangent right now. It's like, okay, I don't, it doesn't really matter. Right. It set me up for that, for that. Just, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, Ken, but the, the, no, the, I love the point, it. yeah, the, the point is like, you just have to have this uh, belief or mentality that in the effort I put into doing this one thing right now, the results of it might not come at all, if ever, but if you believe that it's going to set you up for something bigger or better, then it just makes the activity that much more enjoyable. Well, I think that there's a really fascinating data science element to that. And that's this idea of randomness or, you know, just probability theory in general. So if you if you make a bunch of very, like, you know, a, a, an in, like a huge number of positive moves, like even if there are random moves, if you continue to, to make these positive steps in your life, you're going to get somewhere, even if there's detractors, even if you're going the other way. Um, and I, that's how I've always viewed content creation is that I put a lot of stuff out there. I, I'm sure that there's some like not as good stuff that I put out there. I'm sure there's good stuff. But the more things that I put out there into the world, the higher the probability there is that um, one of those pieces of content gets in front of someone who it creates value for. Or on the flip side, someone who would want to like be business partners with me or or have opportunities that would be a great fit for my skill set. So the more the the effort we're putting in, and I think content is a very easy way to define this, is that every piece of content is some like I call it um uh like organized serendipity or like planned serendipity. Yeah. You're you're creating this luck by creating this volume of stuff. It's yeah. the exact same thing as if you're just making positive changes in yourself, positive changes in um, in your work and learning new things, or you know, obviously creating podcasts, putting stuff out there is touches on the same the same uh, the same concept that I was describing with content. But um, it all it all leads somewhere, and we can't see yeah. it. It doesn't mean it's not real. Just because these are super small micro slivers of success, it doesn't mean that they don't accumulate over time and they don't multiply and they don't have this crazy exponential effect. Yeah, man. If you were to talk to me like three years, like literally three years ago today, three years ago today, probably to this actual date, I was on my first data science interview at Boeing, right? And it, it just went horrible. It, it was absolutely terrible. But if back then you would have told me that I would have ended up being data science, like I would have been like, yeah, right, whatever, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, but every little step I took along the way just kind of compounds and builds and just, you know, put a little bit of effort in and then the return on that little bit of effort is, is outsized and just consistent, just keeping at it, keeping at it I love without that. any well, attachment, without any attachment to any outcomes. You just, just do the work, do the thing. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's an important point is you're, you don't necessarily have to have an attachment to a specific outcome. You can have this connection to a global outcome or sort of like a guiding light 
you know, guiding light, you kind of see it off in the distance and it's fuzzy, but you know where it is, right? It's, it's, it feels somewhat real and you can see it. Um, it doesn't have to be this like lighthouse or citadel that you can perfectly see clearly. Um, to that point, we talked about kind of the incremental growth and the journey. I'd love to hear more concretely about sort of how your career went. I mean, we talked about, you know, working as a math teacher, but offline, we talked some about how, you know, you feel very grateful and fortunate you're coming from where you grew up and those types of things to being where you are now. I'd love to dive into that journey and talk about what people can learn about, you know, changing their situation, developing a growth mindset, those types of things. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, like I grew up in, in Sacramento, South Sacramento, California. It's like, you know, it's not the best place, but it's not the worst place either. But it was an environment that just made it very easy for you to make all the wrong decisions for yourself, especially if you're a young, uh, dumb teenager, right? Um, and so, I mean, I I was pretty good in high school, right? I was pretty good in high school, but then somewhere along the line, it was like the middle of my junior year into senior year, uh, things just started like falling apart. I started just doing a bunch of bad things, right? And those bad things snowballed into a decade of just a decade of just like, what the fuck, man? I, I, what are you doing with your life? Like, like a, a decade of just uh, no direction, let's say that, right? So I ended up not graduating high school on time for the stupidest reason, because I kept skipping PE, right? And there was like literally 1.25 credits short of graduation, right? And earlier in that, that you know, the last semester of, of, of high school, I, I got suspended too for just doing stupid shit, right? And whereas most high schools would have allowed you to walk the stage and graduate on time because PE credits, because of all the stupid shit I was doing my last semester, uh, that, did, that didn't happen, right? And because that didn't happen, all of my college acceptances got revoked. Right. So it's like, okay, now I'm stuck having to go to community college and just completely demotivated. Like it was just, it was like to me, the world had ended type of thing. It's like, what's the point of doing anything right anymore? Like, fuck it. I'm just going to be an idiot. And I was for like a good, you know, not 10 years, but, you know, good five, six, seven years, whatever. I was just doing stupid stuff. And um, yeah, there's opportunities for me to, to, I mean, let's put it this way. I am extremely fortunate to have turned out as well as I have based on the decisions that I've made in the past, right? Based on all of the decisions I've made, all the different uh, ways that my life could have went, it's, it's, I'm in a very lucky part of, uh, of the multiverse where I am right now. Um, because yeah, like it, it just shouldn't be here right now, man. I shouldn't have had all these positive things turn out, um, based on, you know, everything that, that happened back then. Well, I think that what you described there is exactly what we were talking about on the flip side of the good stuff that you put into the world. If you're putting yeah. a lot of bad stuff into the world, you know, it, it creates this kind of uh, negative affect where things generally don't go quite as well. It's, I'm not sure if you remember the video game Fable, where like if you did bad stuff, you'd kind of get like the number yeah. and it would trend in one direction. Um, but you know, I, I think the important thing here is that you are able to overcome a lot of the past poor decisions or the past actions that you that you had in the past that were suboptimal. 
And I'm really interested in how you went about doing that. You know, you, I, I think everyone, I mean, including me, if they feel like, wow, I left something on the table or, you know, going back, um, why was I so lazy at that point in time? Obviously it's, it's probably not quite as extreme as, as, um, you know, what you were going through at those times, but everyone has that feeling. How do we turn that around? Yeah, man. I mean, so that's a good question. Like, I don't even know how I did it. Let's put it that way. And it wasn't until it wasn't until recently, right? Like, um, like when I was younger, I just I just made all the easy choices, right? I took the easy route whenever I could, and the easy route didn't lead to anywhere good, right? I just was averse to challenges. I was averse to putting myself in situations where I would feel stupid. Um, you know, I always wanted to be in this little comfort, this little bubble where I felt like, you know, this, this is stuff I know, this is great. Um, let's just stay here. It's comfortable. Um, and the big change for me was like when I actually left like Sacramento, right? Like I left Sacramento, went to, and went to Fullerton, even then, you know, shit was not right in Fullerton. Like it, it was just all bad. And it wasn't until I left California, completely went to Illinois and just completely changed my environment and just started just hustling, like, you know, getting away from all that stuff, getting away from everyone and just getting in my own element and wanting to to achieve something bigger, right? Like I always felt like I could do something big, but it just never happened. And I mean, man, like it realistically wasn't until like three or four years ago, right? I'm I'm in my late thirties now. It wasn't until I was in my mid thirties where I really started to get my shit together, right? And really start to double down and and put effort and time into just investing into myself and becoming more and just becoming better, right? Because all the time and energy that that I had, you know, all the time and energy that I spend now into learning and growing and developing, that time and energy was spent, you know, previously would have been, and this is as recent as like four years ago, would have been just playing poker, right? Playing online poker. It would have been just going hanging out with my friends and having a few drinks. It would have been just watching stupid shit on Netflix, right? It was just misusing my time. I was really good at misusing my time. And it wasn't until just a few years ago where, where I was like, all right, you know, it, it dawned on me that actually you, you've been wasting a lot of fucking time, man. And you don't have that much on this planet. It can go at any moment. So just realizing that that it can go in any moment, anything can happen, that I'm not using my time wisely. That's kind of what made me realize that shit, I should start doing more because I'm capable of doing more. I, I know I'm capable of doing so much more. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's like a roundabout way of answering a question. Hopefully that would No, I know. I love that. that. I, yeah. there, there are a couple really big, important things that I want to sort of pull out of that and tease on a little bit. And so the first is what you just said there is, you know, you're capable of doing more. I think that that's something that whether it's learning data science, whether it's coming out, you know, whether it's transforming your life, realizing that you're capable of doing that is a a prerequisite to get to where you want to be. It doesn't have to be the first thing you do, but it it definitely has to be there, right? Yeah, it was just like, dude, like I, I was willingly being a victim of my own life. You know what I mean? Like I put myself into these stupid situations and circumstances and I was putting myself in a position where it was very easy to be stuck. And it was very easy just to blame it on everything else except me. And it wasn't until I just said, all right, take accountability for your actions, be accountable, right? 
stop being the victim of your own life and take control of this shit and start making something fucking happen, dude, because you have to. Yeah. Because it's not going to happen by itself, right? I can't sit here and wish and pray and be like, yes, please make something happen. No, I have to do it myself, dude. Like, you have to do it yourself. Um, and it took me 34, 35 years to figure that out. Um, but it's better late than, than ever. Hopefully, knock on wood, I've got another 30, 40 years ahead of me. Um, but this is a lesson that I wish I would have figured out far earlier in life, right? Um, that, uh, Angela Duckworth talks about it in Grit, this, this concept of this internal locus of control, right? And it's that people who feel like they are in charge of their destiny, people who feel like they are, uh, they can affect their future. Those are the type of people that that exhibit this characteristic of grit, who are able to push through any circumstances, adverse circumstances, and come out on top. I very much so did not have an internal locus of control. I blamed everything on everyone else. It was a very bitter, horrible way to live. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lot better now, and I got to make sure I do everything I can to, to help my son have that same type of uh, mentality of, of this internal locus of control that you are actually the one in charge of your life. And you are the one that can make things happen for you. This episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors is brought to you by Z by HP. HP's high compute workstation grade line of products and solution. Z is specifically made for high performance data science solutions. And I personally use the ZBook Studio and the Z4 workstation. I really love that the Z line can come standard with Linux and they also can be configured with the data science software stack. With the software stack, you can get right into the work of doing data science on day one without the overhead of having to completely reconfigure your new machine. Now back to our show. I mean, I think that that's so powerful. I, I look back at my own life and I was very unlucky and very lucky at the same time. So when I was 21, <clears throat> my, uh, my cousin, who was the closest person to me in the world. He was 22 years old. You know, he worked for my dad sometimes. He, he lived with us quite a bit. He, he passed away of a free card attack just out of nowhere. And, you know, at that point in time, I was an awful student. I was just cruising, just getting by, you know, going out a little too much on the weekends, just kind of no urgency to my life whatsoever. <clears throat> and, uh, and losing this person who, again, was like, the single person that was closest to me in the world gave me this unbelievable perspective of that, hey, life is short. There is some time onto this. It is unexpected. Anything could happen. I realized that I had to, you know, frankly, capitalize on what I what I was given. You know, like every every extra day from that point on to me was a bit more of a blessing. And, you know, obviously that that wasn't something that the next day it wasn't like a, a I was a different person, but after that had settled in and I had realized that I had to take control of my life and do exactly what I wanted with it before, before it ended, that is the single thing I look back on as being a pivotal change uh, that made me who I am today uh, or that, that instilled in me a lot of the characteristics that I believe have made me successful and happy today. And I had to learn it in an awful way. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, someone with an internal locus of control or someone, you know, we've, we've probably read a lot of the same books would view that still as like not something I could change and you have to take the positives out of it. And the positive I took is that like, holy shit, this is the scenario. This is the thing um, 
that that gave me that perspective. And I want to be clear, you know, like you don't have to have someone close to you, close to you dying yeah. or, or, or something like that to, to have that perspective. I mean, you had that, um, it seems like as more of a gradual transition and thought, but, um, I think the sooner that people realize that, and I was fortunate to, you know, learn it frankly earlier than you, but <laughs> you know, there's such people that, that I went to, you know, high school with that, that understood this. And, um, it's never too late, right? That's never, the beautiful thing. Never, never too late, man. And that's a wonderful thing. Like, I love people who are like in their late forties, late fifties, talking about, yeah, I'm breaking into data science. I'm like, fuck yeah, man, do it, do it, right? Because um, it's never too late. It's never too late for anything. It's the only time it's too late is probably when you had your last breath. That's that okay. At that point, all right, you can say it's too late. But every moment up until then, nah, dude, it's never, never too late. Well, you know, honestly, someone who is getting into the field at, at a later age, I mean, frankly, you were, you're probably in the, in the older portion of people who broke into data science. Yeah. To me, that shows like incredible curiosity, right? And your willingness and passion for the field. If, if you're, if you want to get into this at, you know, let's say you're 45, probably pretty freaking serious about it, yeah. you know, yeah. right? Like, like you're, you're going to learn you want to want to do these things. I mean, that that to me, there's always another side of the coin. There's always something that, um, even if you're older, you you probably bring a unique perspective. There's there's benefits to that, um, and I also think your story is incredibly p- powerful related to this domain, because you know, you you went down a very unconventional path. You took a lot of breaks along the way, and you still broke in. Yeah. And it doesn't show when you look at LinkedIn, right? Like you just see a linear trajectory. That's all people see. They don't see like all the fucking bullshit that I put myself through all the failures that I've had, all the like days of self doubt where I'm just sitting there like, man, is this for me? Is this what I should be doing? Right? Like you don't see all that stuff. Um, this is the first time I ever talked to you about it with, with anyone. So <laughs> you know, oh, first time going public with this shit with, with people. Yeah. I mean, like I, I started grad school 10 years ago, literally like August, 2011 started grad school at that point i was 28 years old right and i got i got this uh invitation to attend this event that was for non-traditional students and i was considered a non-traditional student because of my age because apparently people at my age don't go to get their master's degree um i did anyways right like i mean it happened i almost flunked out my first semester but came back and came back like hardcore on top, you know? Yeah, it came out with a vengeance, man. Um, but yeah, it's never too late. I love that. Well, so while we're on the topic, I'd love to hear that transition into data science. I mean, you talked yeah. about your first interview um, mm-hmm. and how it didn't quite go as well as planned, yeah. but I would assume since you have a job, it it went up <laughs> from there. Yeah, so like we're talking about how I, I got into quote unquote data was because my love of math, love of probability. So. Initially, it was, you know, I wanted to become an actuary. And that was the first job I had right out of grad school. I actually had that job during my last semester of grad school. Um, and it was as an actuarial analyst. And when I was in actuarial sciences, the thing that I wanted to get into was called, at that time, it was called predictive modeling. Um, and, you know, now it's called data science. And, and uh, back in 2011, data science might have been a thing. I don't know if it was. I hadn't even heard of it. Uh, back in 2011, you know, I've heard of statistical learning because I took that in grad school, but like this machine learning thing, I, d- I didn't hear of that. Um, but that was kind of the trajectory I was headed on was I was going to be 
a predictive modeler at a insurance company. That's what I was into. Uh, but then I met my wife who lives here in Winnipeg where I live now. And, um, you know, she's already well established here in her career and everything. She's an optometrist, had a you know successful practice and client base and all that stuff. So I decided to move to Winnipeg. And the only way I can get into Winnipeg um, was with a work visa. And the only company that was hiring in work in, in Winnipeg that would extend me a work visa was uh, this pharmaceutical company. So I started working there as a biostatistician and um, worked there for five years. And I fucking hated that place, dude. Like I hated that job. I hated the people. I hated everything about that job. Um, but I stuck with it for five years because I couldn't do anything without getting permanent residency. Uh, so I was in this shitty job, um, not really growing, really stagnant in my career. Uh, it's like every fucking day is the same, dude. Like I hated it. Like, you know, it was just, it was, it was from the outside. Like I'm sure biostatistician is a lot of people's dream job. Like that's what they want to be. It was not for me, right? It's just, I was not growing, wasn't learning, wasn't doing anything new. And um, so I started looking at what, I could do with my skill set again, right? I was like, okay, maybe I can get back into predictive modeling. Maybe I can, you know, go back to becoming an actuary, taking a bunch of exams. I could probably take a couple more and whatever. Um, and you know, this time we're we're talking. It's like probably late, mid to late 2017 when, when I'm getting this itch. Like I gotta get the fuck out of here. And that's when I heard of data science again, or for the first time rather, because I was looking for predictive modeling jobs learned about this thing called data science and machine learning. And I was like, okay, well, what, what's this all about? Let me figure this out. And uh, like anyone who's transitioning into the field, dude, I was fucking overwhelmed. Like, I got to know this, that, this, what the, this is a lot of shit. How am I supposed to learn all this stuff, right? Um, but eventually did kind of, you know, sharpen up on some skills and, and whatnot and ended up getting my first job in data science. Um, it was February 2019 when I started my first official data science job. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I wiggled my way back into uh, into into what it is that I really wanted to do. That's awesome. You know, I, I think that something I took out of that is that you were training for this data science job. You were doing similar stuff for years before you landed yeah. this role. Yeah. Right. And it, it wasn't you know, it wasn't making a jump. It was just kind of like the small leap from the skill sets that you developed. And there's yeah. this like clear line from once when you went back to school again to landing that, that, uh, that first like technically real data science job, I would consider right. biostatistics and a lot of the actuarial science is very, very akin to those yeah. things. Maybe yeah, very much so. types of things, but, um, you know, going into data science it can be a progression it's not it's not this leap right it's this like okay i can start as a data analyst i can start as a software engineer there's or biostatistician there's plenty of fields that that have that that transferability and i think people just really are obsessed with getting this quick short uh reward for, I mean, you, you can work very hard and 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 hope to get that, but I've never seen the appeal of that. I think that from your story, I mean, it was a long period of time from when you graduated high school to yeah. when you landed this career. But I also think that, frankly, that's a more rewarding story as well, is that you've learned about yourself, you've picked up knowledge along the way that have that have helped you. I would argue even that, you know, the the five, six years where 
you know, you, you perhaps weren't doing the things in hindsight that, that would have you know, perhaps made you happier or, or given you more control, those still taught you something. They still taught you a lot. It sounds like a lot of very valuable lessons and appreciating what you have now. Um, mm-hmm. And it can be like that in your career too. Like the things that you pick up, even if you're in a job that is like very scarcely related to the data science field, I mean, you can take, you can take things from that and it makes you a better employee. It makes you happier, helps you to understand what you don't like and what you don't want to do. And that's just as important as, as finding your first job. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one misconception people have is like, they're transitioning into the field that everything they learn is not applicable to what, to, to this new field. That's not really true. Like there's still so much stuff that you learned in any previous role that is going to benefit you in this role. So leverage that, try to use as much of that as possible, right? Uh, incorporate that into the data science superpower. Um, but yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned data science as a superpower. That's something that uh, I've always kind of referred to it as that or sort of like magic. To me, people... To, to someone who doesn't understand it or to a business person who is just seeing the outcomes, it sort of does feel like magic. Um, but once you've learned to code, once you've started to pick up these things, you realize that it's, it, the math is difficult, right? The, their yeah. concepts are difficult, but, but at, a, at a high level, data science is very simple once you take the curtain back. You know, yeah. it's oh, frankly a lot of linear linear algebra, right? Even yeah, for the which most you don't have to do stuff. by hand, right? Yeah. Which you don't have to do by hand, so it's it's okay. And and once that fabric of something that used to seem like magic or superpower, because it absolutely felt like that to me when I first got into it. Once that fabric is unveiled and you see what the mechanisms that are going on behind it, at least for me, the the world of opportunities elsewhere opened up too, is that, oh, if I can understand this and it's really not that complex, um, what else is out there that I could possibly comprehend if I put my mind to it? Or what else could I use this system for to create value or generate new insights? It, I don't know. I'd, this Once I got into this field, the world just opened up and it absolutely blew my mind. It's that if you even abstract away the details of it being data science, it's just that the concept of, okay, well, I've done these hard things before and I've done hard things. That means I could do other hard things, other difficult things. I've learned this challenging thing before. I can learn another thing too, right? It's that if you, you know, just abstract away the data science part of it, it's that, that, that you, if, if you have the cookie jar, right? The cookie jar example, David Goggins, right? If you look back in your cookie jar and say, you know what? I've done this shit before. I've done other shit before. Yeah, I, I could do another, I could do something else. I could do another difficult thing, right? Like, you know, back in, back in those days when I was, you know, high school kid doing stupid shit and all the obstacles I've overcome to get here. Yeah, you know, well, anything you else? Yeah, anything else that comes in front of me, like I've got the mindset mentality that yeah, I can I can handle this shit. It's no big deal. It's no big fucking deal, right? Boss has a request that's totally unclear to me. Whatever, I'll figure it out. It's not that difficult, right? And then also realizing that if I don't figure it out, it's not the end of the world. I will at least learn something, right? I can't learn anything less, right? 
I can't learn anything less than than when I started. You know what I mean? I so that's something I really want to touch on is the the I guess the additive nature of learning is something that has fascinated me for a long time. So on YouTube, I get a lot of questions about, hey, Ken, which resource should I learn first? This or this? Or, you know, what what course should I take? And if they're both free, I'm like, dude, just take them both. I mean, you'll probably, there'll probably be some overlap, but learning is additive. If it, you, you should take both, it'll make you smarter. It's not that if you take one, you can't take the other one, right? right. Th- this idea that every experience that we have, we can learn from. And yes, you forget things, but you don't forget, um, you don't forget a lot of the concepts that are ingrained in your mind, right? I mean, it, it, it's not a, the way our memory works in forgetting is not very clear. Um, and if you make this effort to learn from a lot of different areas, and you're open to the fact that your mind can absorb and, and actually probably benefit from slight iteration on different content or different material or slight iteration on the same material, you're going to be way better off. Because let's say I take one resource and I don't really understand it. And I take another resource and they just word it a little different. And in my brain, click, right? It wasn't my problem with learning. It was the resources problem for you know, it just wasn't like a good match, right? The puzzle piece for how my brain work didn't light up. And that to me is a very valuable concept for life as well as the data field is that, you know, we can learn from this diverse array and we should always be learning from these diverse array of things. There should be overlap. Like our brain works on overlap and on iteration Mm -hmm. and on small differences. Um, But I think that that gets lost a lot in the noise. Yeah, yeah. Or like trying to find like the one magical resource that if I watch this one resource, then everything will become clear, right? That doesn't really exist. It's it's all just scaffolding. Everything just kind of builds and builds. And uh, uh, there's this uh, this analogy um, is you know you have a giant jar, right? And you've got sand and you've got rocks, right? And you're trying to get both of them into this giant jar. Well, how do you do it? Well, if you put all the sand in first, then the rocks won't fit, right? So you put the rocks in first, right? Lay the foundation, put the rocks in, and then pour the sand in, and the sand will fill up the the empty gaps, right? So hopefully that analogy makes sense in context of what you're saying, but that's what was going on in my head as you're you're speaking um, about that. So that's kind of the approach you want to take, right? Like get exposed to whatever, right? Just get started. Pick one, get started, right? If it doesn't make sense to you at, at that moment, no worries jot it down put it in in you know in the backlog of things to come back to but don't let that nag you right don't let that stop you dead in your tracks and give up just keep pushing through it keep pushing through it keep keep reading it and then maybe find in another resource to to back you up and and, and fill in those gaps yeah well i mean one thing that uh, just very short segue is that with the materials just choose one and go i would also say choose one that you like it's like yeah. all of these things have samples, yep. right? If you like an instructor, that's a perfectly fine reason to take a course. If you don't like an instructor, I've said this multiple times. If you don't like how I talk, if you don't like my presentation style, don't buy my course. You're not going to finish mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. If you do like yeah. me, like how I talk, by all means, like I think it'd be very effective for you. But 
there's a huge contingent of people where, um, or, or in the in the broader playing field, some people the way they think, the way they learn, are going to fit for the way that some courses are structured, and they're not. There's no possible way that they could all be a match um, in this reality right now. Maybe in the future yeah. with some customized machine learning, meta learning, but say that for a different time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing I do want to touch on, we've talked a lot of, about philosophy and concepts. You mentioned grit by Angela Duckworth. We, mm-hmm. We've talked about David Goggins, who, who's written this incredible book called Can't Hurt Me. I know reading has played a huge part in your life. And I'd love to hear more about, you know, how books have impacted you or, or you know, maybe what even some of your favorite books are. Yeah, I mean, I... I loved reading as a kid that was like my my go-to pastime was just reading i loved reading as a kid but then for the longest time yeah like i i loved it dude like my librarian was like so impressed with me i'd come and get a new book like every day and it was it was great man uh but then you know somewhere along the line when i was you know just a stupid pothead teenager running around getting drunk all day and smoking weed i stopped reading and i stopped reading for the longest time and i only read stuff that was coursework related and even after i finished school the reading I did do was it wasn't books. It was like I'd read magazines, I'd read comic books or whatever, right? Um, but it wasn't until again three or four years ago when I, you know, just had this huge internal change in me that I started reading again. And um since then, man, I just there's so little time in the world, but so many books I want to read. You know what I mean? I feel the uh, same way, man. Yeah. Right. And I just love it. Like I make time for it every morning. Like, you know, I try to read at least an hour a day and it it's the thing I love about it is it just combining ideas, right? Just, you know, I, I read this one thing in this book and I read this one thing in this other book. And then these ideas are combining or it's making me understand something else that I read somewhere else. And yeah, it's just, just this, this like soup of ideas in my head that, you know, are congealing and forming thoughts, of my own and, and scaffoldings and belief systems of my own. And that's what I really enjoy by reading is just getting exposed to a ton of ideas um, and then combining them in new ways and making them my own. Yeah, that's, so that's, honestly, that's so relevant to, to my life as well. So I don't know if you know, my friend Jeff Lee was staying with me for a while. So he's a data scientist over at Spotify. Yeah. He does produce a lot of awesome content. And you've had him on the show. So you, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, but we would just have these conversations where it's like, okay, you know, we, we talked about like love, for example, and, and you know, what makes a good match and a lot of like pictures and stuff, which is very strange. I, I realize this. But, you know, that that's how I view yeah. and would like to understand myself and model the world. And it's just an incredible flow of like, actually, you know, from this book, you know, like he told me about this book, Finite and Infinite Games. And, you know, like mm-hmm. there's there's these elements. And I was like, oh, from like this other book, we brought on this. And, yeah. you know, they're just these resources of knowledge that you can connect to different things. And if you really think about it, that's that's what thinking is, is just like pulling from our experiences and and all of these different things to try and solve or understand a, a, a current scenario. And I found in my life that the books are an incredible, like, um, like staple or a pillar that, or maybe like an entire bookshelf that I can draw from when I'm trying to understand something better. There are these, all these different frames of reference for the world. And you also get different people's frames of reference and understanding from that. I mean, 
this is going to sound kind of weird, but I think a huge portion of empathy could be tied to how much we read because your head is essentially getting filled with thoughts of other people every time you read. Um, I don't think there's any science to back that up. So definitely don't quote me on that, but I could see it being the case. Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean, man. I mean, it, when you really get a chance to download what's Jim Quick saying, decades and days, right? Like somebody who spent an entire life's work or a decade or multiple decades of research to write a book, you read it in a few days and get to benefit from from everything that person learned, right? So you can learn far more than you can in one lifetime on your own if you did not read than if you did read. You know what I mean? And plus, reading is just the foundation for your self-education, right? That That is how you educate yourself. Because when you're reading, it's just your mind and the book, right? And it's your mind trying to understand the author, understand the book, and understand what's going on in there. Um, and it's fun, man. It's it's so much fun. Uh, but in terms of like the favorite books, my favorite books, I don't know if I have any favorite books, but I will tell you, I read a sequence of books. Um, and this sequence of books is what changed my life. And this is what what caused this big shift in me, you know, back in 2018. And it was a combination of um, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, plus, uh, yeah, it's a really good book, plus uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck, plus Grit. I read those three books in succession. And reading those books, um, and then the the fourth one after that was Smarter, Better, Smarter, Faster, Better, also by Charles Duhigg. Uh, That combination of books, man, I read it. I read those three books, uh, four books in, in, you know, a month, month and a half time. And then since then, my life has been completely different. And I don't know, I can't articulate how. It's just those the way those ideas combined, the way that I read, the things that I read in those books tore down 35 years of bad belief systems and installed new belief systems, new, new frameworks in my mind that have ultimately contributed to, I mean, what feels like a meteoric rise over the last three years. Yeah, I mean, I've had very similar experiences with a couple of books that I've read. I forget what author calls them then, but they're like the, the idea of quake books. Yeah, books Tyler that Cowan. Yeah, that shake your existence. Yeah. Um, and I, I can think back into times of my life where books had a tremendous impact on my personal understanding, my growth. I think after I quit playing professional golf, Right. I was a little bit lost. I knew I wanted to go back and and do a master's degree, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, I'll do consulting. I'll buy myself time. And I remember I read Awaken the Giant Within by, by Anthony Robbins, um, mm-hmm. which is probably my all-time favorite self-help book. It's a little old now. Some of the references are a little dated, but I um, I just remember I it's like a fat 500-page or something book. And the copy I had was missing like 50 pages, just like out of the middle of it, just terrible production. And I remember just like diving into this and, and understanding so much about myself. I think I, you know, I was an insecure kid that just graduated college and I didn't know that much about myself. I was scared to look in the mirror. There's a lot of things that we're inherently scared of at those points in our life. And I read this book. I I did not take my eyes off that book for like five days straight. I went to the library and sat on the floor and read the 50 pages that weren't in it. Nice. And, it, you know, that was also around the time when my, my cousin had passed away. And all of those things combined just 
you know, it felt like this, uh, like when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and turns into a butterfly type of thing, you're you're just um, something in the world you get that you didn't understand before. And that's, that's, I guess that's the power of books. It it doesn't have to be those books that, that we described. I think those are ones that have obviously clearly had profound impact on us, but um, that is the power that, that books can have. And, you know, Christina Stathopoulos, a friend of our, a mutual friend of ours, she, she also uh, is, a, is a big reader, does the yeah. book a week challenge, which I did in 2018. But, you're never going to have those experiences unless you go out and just read books, spend time reading it, right? Like everybody has time, right? You have time in your day. You might have to adjust priorities, but whatever, like you can find 15 minutes a day to read. If you read for 15 minutes a day, you can finish a book in two or three weeks, honestly. Right. But you're not going to have these experiences with books unless you put in the time, energy and effort to read them and make it a priority. You have to make it a priority. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I doesn't say, dude, like like that self-help. Right. I used to be so like skeptical of self-help, whatever. I, I don't know why I had like a negative. No, oh, I did too. That's, to yeah. that's why. I don't know why. Is, yeah. I don't know why. But I mean. Now those are a lot of the books I read can be called quote unquote self-help books. I I fucking love that shit, dude. It's great. Well, I realized, so when, when I buy a new camera, right, it comes with a manual. When I buy a new laptop, whatever it is, a new charger, everything comes with a manual. Our life, we don't, we don't have a manual. And I found that the closest thing to that was a lot of these, you know, self-help books. I like to think of them as more, personal understanding or human understanding books. You look at the power nice. of habit, you yeah. look at atomic habits, you look at um, the, the one thing you look at um, like Jim Quick's book, uh, Limitless, Limitless, whatever it might yeah. be. Those are all analysis of what makes humans successful within a domain, whether that's understanding mm-hmm. the sense of self, whether that's related to happiness, whether that's related to motivation, um, and the way I viewed it is if these are the closest things to, to manuals for, for how to achieve, whether it's focus or happiness or any of these things in my life, I'm someone that, frankly, I, I read the directions for everything. So why, why, yeah, wouldn't, yeah. I, why wouldn't I go through yeah. that? And, um, you know, I, I see people fiddling around because they haven't read the directions with a, setting up a TV stand or something like that. And I'm like, save me a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way, dude. I'll read directions for everything. How to, it looks easy. Fuck it. I'm still reading directions. Dude. I don't want to mess this up. Spend money on it. Uh, but I, I used to have this, like, like, I don't know. It was a blocker. It was a mental blocker. It's probably just an excuse for me not to read stuff. But I was like, oh, that stuff's not going to work for me. I'm different. I'm so different. Like this, this stuff they're talking about in this book's not going to apply to me. Right. I'm such a unique snowflake. Uh, but then once I got rid of that kind of mentality, it's like, actually, you know, I'm actually a, a human and I still, have the same mental processes that all other humans have. We're not that different. Um, so yeah, somebody's book, their story, what they did that helped them. If I followed their prescription step-by-step, step, it might not help me, but there is stuff in there that is relevant to me in my life. So let me take what works, reject what doesn't. And if you take enough of what works from a wide variety of sources, you can find something that works for yourself. You can stitch together something that can work for yourself. So that, I, I, mean, I could not I, more, that. I have this notebook where I, you know, every day 
I write down a bunch of different stuff about the day. Every morning I write down some stuff and it's a smorgasbord of things that I've taken from a bunch of different books or different ideologies, whatever it might be. And to me, that's like part of the fun is you get to build these systems in your life. You get to, Mm -hmm. it's like this never ending, like fascinating puzzle of trying to understand yourself and try to understand what levers make you more successful or happier or, um, you know, or, or any of these types of things or more energetic or, or trying to understand like how you really feel about certain issues. Like what is my core belief on this and why do I feel that way? Deconstructing and reconstructing. I mean, to me, that's, that's one of the most, um, the easiest purposes or like built-in purposes that we have is understanding of ourselves and understanding of the human race um, and that's something if, if I don't have other purposes at the moment that I can always dial into is like, you know, l- looking in the mirror, you're like, wow, this is a mystery right here. Yeah. Uh, and I, it, I'll never crack it either. There are going to be things that I don't understand. I, I, I see that, um, that element that you described in yourself, like, oh, I'm different or whatever it is. You know, I don't use social media that much, um, like for consumption, I obviously create a lot. Um, but that's when I see it the most is when I get on Instagram and I can't stop scrolling. Like I'm yeah. human. I like yeah. everyone does. You got to have the, you have to be cut from a different cloth to not be consumed when you use these things. Yeah. And uh, they're engineered to, right. They're engineered yeah. to take, take advantage of us. So, and, and, you know, I think back like uh, earlier, right. 10 years, you know, five, 10 years ago, would I have had the same effect? I probably would have, but I wouldn't have viewed it as, like with as much trepidation and fear as I do now. So it's a very, you know, the, the mindset that we develop in our self-understanding, we also realize that how fallible we are. And, and that's an important thing too. I mean, I have a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of things to work on, but that's fun, right? I mean, I get to work on them. It's totally random aside here, but do you ever wonder how different, you would have turned out if your social media of choice was something different, right? Like for me, 10 years ago, my social media of choice was Instagram. That was just like my, my thing, my favorite thing. I wonder how different my life would have been 10 years, you know, if 10 years ago, my social media of choice was Twitter, because I probably would have been exposed to a lot more interesting thoughts and interesting ideas rather than just images and, and pictures, right? I, I imagine if, if I was in, if I was on Twitter 10 years ago, I probably would have ran into Naval Ravigant's ideas or ran into, you know, some of these other really interesting, uh, like there's one amused ape who's got some awesome stuff or Aaron Haspel or even the seam Taleb, all of their type of stuff. Um, how differently I would have been shaped. Yeah, I was having this thought experiment the other day. And that's a good question. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever been like a huge social media user until recently. So when I started making YouTube is when I started engaging on social platforms more. Mm. I honestly, th- again, think the things that shaped me the most were, uh, were probably books over people, which is kind of a weird thing. I mean, I, I was in, I still am, <laughs> I'm an only child. I, I've kind of had to, um, you know, I've, I've relied more on um, understanding myself to, to push things forward than I have on what my social circles were doing. Uh, I also don't talk about this actually ever, uh, but 
something that was particularly meaningful to me. So I'm, I'm half Chinese. My dad is Chinese. My mother is Caucasian. And within groups of people, I never really felt like I fit in. Like, you know, you're with your white friends and you're the Chinese guy. You're with the, your Chinese friends and you're the white guy. Right. Um, and to me, that made it really difficult to follow social trends because I was always in the middle, like food wise and things like that. I love Asian food. I eat everything. Um, you know, from the way I talk and probably, um, and you know, athletics and whatever that might be, I was always put in more of a Caucasian camp because I was a, frankly a very good athlete and not that many, I mean, more, a lot of Asian people play golf now, but in uh, baseball and wrestling and those other things that I did, um, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily like looking at, um, and, and mimicking what these people are doing because I've always just felt like, I was different. Like I was the only in that sense. And so the, the idea of social pressure, I think weighed on me very differently. Whereas I wasn't looking to do what these people are doing because I didn't understand. I like, didn't feel right. I didn't uh, like, I wanted to fit in, but I knew it was never going to fit in. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm gonna do my own thing. <laughs> um, so you escape competition right there, man. That is how you escape competition. It's like, once you start trying to do the same thing as somebody else is doing, once you start trying to, like, you know, this person over here is doing that. I'm going to try to do that too. That's when you start having to compete with people, right? But if you just consistently just always do your own thing or in your own lane and just focus on doing your thing, like there is no more competition. Who's going to compete with you on being you, right? That's just, yeah. that's, nobody Nobody can do that. Um, yeah. But, and you kind of took, took that type of, I mean, obviously athletics, there's inherently competition yeah, involved, yeah. but you're not trying to be somebody else, right? You're not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, in unpacking this even further, I realized that looking at my high school career and those types of things, like I was trying to people please a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I did realize it was a little harsh reality that because of the differences that I had in my views, my beliefs and how I looked, like, even if I people pleased all I wanted to, I was never going to be able to like be in part of that in group. Uh, mm-hmm. just as fundamentally different from that sense. And, you know, it's sad, but it's also empowering now. Uh, like I've developed very much my own personality. I've developed incredible friend groups based on interests, not on, on like, uh, what ethnicity, I would say. Is, yeah. yeah. Ethnicity or, 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 you know, like some of these other things. Um, and, you know, fortunately for better or for worse, aside from like from gender, I think the data science community is relatively diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can always do significantly better. Uh, yeah. But but to me, that understanding over time has been something that has obviously really shaped my life. I don't even remember what we we're talking about. I we went down this rabbit hole, but uh, love it, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we're here. This is a, a therapy session now for, for <laughs> both of us. So. <laughs> Hope the world is enjoying it. No, but man, I can relate to that, dude, because like I, I'm Punjabi, right? Ethnically Punjabi, but I grew up in like California. Like that's where I'm from. I'm from Sacramento. Um, but then when I tried to hang out with kids that were at my high school who were also Punjabi, but came from India, I would get rejected by them. It's like, okay, like you don't really speak like how we speak. You don't really, you're not actually from, but you, you might be Punjabi, but you're not actually Punjabi, right? It was the same kind of shit, getting rejected by your own group. Like, I've, you know, yeah. been through that. So then what did I do? I hung out with 
hung out with punk rockers, hung out with you know the, the thug kids, and just had a diverse group of of people, and just became kind of like my my own person for sure. That's the best thing, man. I'm I'm interested in both of our journeys since I think there was a little bit of that. I know for me that's probably one of the reasons why I've liked to forge my own path is because I understand that all of those things are factors in company politics or whatever it might be. And that's why entrepreneurship, well, a very small reason of why entrepreneurship has been very appealing for me is because, you know, I didn't have to to play those social dynamic games. Do you think that's a factor in a little, you know, in some of your motivation as well as the more things that you create that you have control over, you don't have to worry about that stuff as much. I mean, you might have to worry about some hecklers on the internet, but like, yeah, <laughs> I, I can deal with that rather than than people, yeah. my boss, or or you know those types of things. I love it when people heckle me because I'll just heckle them right back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't doesn't matter to me what people say. Like, I, I've completely removed myself from from that. Like, it just doesn't does not matter to me. Like, people's actual opinions of me, like that it actually has nothing to do with me. Like I realized that what people think about me has precisely nothing to do with me, right? Uh, I can't control it. I can't change it, right? Nor should I want to. So I just kind of just, yeah, I don't, I just don't care. I genuinely do not care. Um, Marcus Aurelius has this quote, uh, ignoring what goes on in other people's souls. No one has ever come to grief that way. I like that quote. You just ignore what other people think, ignore what other people say. Um, nobody's, nobody's, nobody's ever come to grief by doing that, by just ignoring people. Well, it's it's interesting you say that. So I, if someone's, you know, they make fun of how I look or how I talk or something along those lines, it doesn't bother me at all. Mm-hmm. But I do get affected when people say th- negative things about the things that I produce. You know, mm-hmm. I, I spend a lot of time hopefully making useful and valuable content. Um, I do most of it for free online. And it's difficult to see someone that kind of shreds what I'm doing or, you know, someone said a, a while ago that, you know, like a video of mine was like detrimental to data science or, or like to like learning. And to me, I mean, that that's difficult. It's, it's, it's something that is not me. It's something I produced and I produced it because it is for a consumer, right? And we, it, as a business, I mean, not that YouTube for me is necessarily like a business, but like you try to produce things that are valuable to the consumers, right? You do care about your consumer's opinions, but the content I produce is intimately tied to who I am to a certain extent because it is my face. The channel is literally my name. And so there's this weird kind of middle ground where, you know, uh, you say what you want about me, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to do at least somewhat of a service here. And it's, it's difficult to see that, um, that being reflected negatively. I mean, um, yeah, I get over it pretty quick, but you know, sometimes they, they absolutely do stink. Yeah. I mean, I don't, does, is that motherfucker out there making content? Is he putting himself out there? Is he doing something for the community? <laughs> well, that's right? what like, I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah right. Uh, but I mean, not only that, it's just like, if you're creating content, it's like, like I've seen your content; it's very personal. It's it's you. It's your it's your truth, like your viewpoint. Like, like it's those are yours. If people disagree with them, like all right, that's cool. They are definitely entitled to to disagree with it or, or not like it. But at the end of the day, as long as you know that what you are doing is authentic to yourself, like you just that shit, let that shit bounce off. 
I agree. I mean, the, the thing that always gives me kind of reprieve or whatever you want to call it is that like, you're probably not too happy with yourself if you're just saying mean things about someone on yeah, the internet, yeah. right? At, at yeah. the end of the day, like, um, a little bit is like, what kind of person would do this? And some of it is like mean, but they give constructive feedback. And I'm like, okay, fair. Yeah. Like, like you could have said it in a nicer way, but if if it's well thought out, whatever it might be, I, I do respect that. But um, yeah, it's like, what do you want me to do? Stop making videos? Like, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not going to. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, for me, dude, like, like a lot of the, like my podcast, like, I think people might have heard me say this before. It's, it's like kind of create the podcast for myself, right? Like, I, I purposely will uh, find authors who write books about a topic that I'm struggling with and get them on the show and, and try to talk to them about, you know, I'll read their book, but then I'll try to relate their book back to some problem that I have. And uh, just frame the question so it doesn't look like it's it's me going through it. But but yeah, most of the content I create is 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 for me. Every podcast episode I've done is it's been for me. But it seems like other people are are enjoying it and benefiting from it. So that's just a great byproduct. The the old asking for uh, asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Whose name no, happens I... to be Heartbreak? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, strange coincidence. Um, no, I I find that uh, I still produce the majority of the content that I make for myself. I think that I found um, a little bit of balance where it's like, hey, I want to make all these videos. Which video would would you most like to see uh, from the audience? I've been trying to be better at polling and, and continuing to grow uh, in that front. I think it's also, from a content creator perspective, difficult when you have an algorithm that dictates a lot of the success of your content as well. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, I, on the flip side, the YouTube algorithm is what made my content and my channel successful to begin with. So there's yeah. two sides of, of every coin. But, um, you know, it's interesting that the gauge of your content, it might not be um, it might not be as, as representative of, of what's actually happening. And it might be part of a larger system, you know, if it's good or if it's bad or if people are watching it or not watching it, which is is always, you know, interesting to think about. So I want to end on two concepts. So the mm-hmm. first I'd like to touch on is luck. We've talked about that a little bit in the past. And then the last one is balance. You know, you've, you've mentioned that you've had, uh, you, you have a son, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, having a child while doing a lot of work and having a podcast and being active on social and yeah. doing this and that. Uh, lot, lot, lot of stuff you're doing. And figuring yeah. out how how you can manage your time and 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 actively do that while learning deep learning as well. Yeah. Um, so actually, let's start with that one. Let's let's jump into that. I I really hyped that one up. We might as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dive in. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just I I just cut time off of doing stuff that just doesn't help me. You know, like like I was talking about, like I used to misuse a lot of time. Right. Like I would just take it for granted that the next day is going to be here, take it for granted that I would be alive. And now that I realize that that's not the case, like I could actually die at any fucking moment. um, It just makes me think about how I use my time. Right. So now, you know, I'm up early and, you know, I'm up pretty early in the morning. I do my reading, do do some writing, do some reflecting, and I make that a priority Um, very early in the morning. And 
you know, um, I wish that, uh, I mean, I'd love to just spend all day with, with, with my kid. Like he's cute. He's fun to be around. He's an interesting individual, but, uh, but yeah, like I've got to, you know, I've got to compartmentalize time. So, um, just having structure to the day to the week really helps that like every Tuesday morning and every Friday morning, those like the mornings that I don't do anything except just play with my son. Um, cause those are the, the days that my wife goes to work. She only goes to work two days a week and, um, so she's getting ready for work and I'm, you know, hanging out with the baby. You know, he's up, he's an early riser like me. He's usually up at 6.30 a.m. And we hang out till about like, you know, 8, 8.30, then you know, walk him to his grandparents' house and then he'll be there the entire day um, while I work. But yeah, I guess the balance is just, just finding it, right? Like I just don't let myself get unbalanced. I don't know how to frame that any better, but um, it's just making good use of the time and that's what it comes down to it's like and you have to find ways that work for you right and for me it's it's just looking at my day in chunks right and having clear kind of separations between my day right so every day kind of has the same ebb and flow in the sense that early morning hours i'm reading i'm doing whatever i need to then i'll go on a walk then i'll come home and then you know after the walk and maybe spend like an hour with the baby then shower go to work and then walk again middle of the day right? Finish work. And then usually it's always around uh, between four to six is where I try to schedule podcasts and when I do my office hours and, and things like that. And then six to, you know, seven, eight, whenever the baby ends up falling asleep, just spending time with the baby. And obviously got a wife as well. So I spend time with her after the baby goes to sleep. Um, so it's just like, I, I just look at my day in chunks, right? Uh, that's really what helps a lot, right? If I, and I know that this is every day this is kind of the general structure of it because if i just went into every day like it's a brand new day i don't know what's, what's going to happen then it's just like it'll be completely like, i'll feel like i have no time um but yeah just just consistently chunking out the day chunking out the week makes it helpful and then you know keeping just a simple simple to do so this is like obviously like the, this is light compared to uh earlier in in the year um because summer times, I just, I, I chill out, right? In July, August, I, this, it's my time to just chill out. Um, but I, I keep a, just a quick to-do list, right? And then this is this is it. These are things I got to get done that day. Um, if they get done, it's a good day. If they don't get done, all right, cool. I'll reassess and move it to another part of the, the week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not hard. 168 hours. I think Bill Gates has the same number of hours in a week that I do. And he gets to do amazingly massive huge thing. So does Elon Musk, right? So we all have time, right? We just need to quit making excuses for misusing it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I think something that, that I, a fun metaphor for what you described is that, you know, you have things that you do most days or you have the structure. And I look at, uh, for example, a habit of reading and journaling in the morning to me is a, is like a pillar, right? Mm -hmm. And the more of these kind of pillar habits that you have, the more structure you can create and the more like balanced your life will appear to be or could be. Yeah. And I, I think balance is, uh, I personally don't like, even though I asked the question, I don't like the idea of life balance. I think that it's, that's an inherently flawed concept because, you know, there's mm -hmm. no balance. There's no steady states in nature. It's constantly in flux, but we can add yep. some structure and we can create time for ourselves in a multitude of different ways. Mm -hmm. But the idea that habits or some of these things that you do every day, they're really important ones and they 
set the tone or they allow um, the building to stay steady when other things shake it are really important for me that one of the big things has been more recently physical fitness uh mm. also like finding time also to walk go outside um those have been unbelievably valuable for me to feel like everything else is is falling into place which is which is a great feeling yeah um, yeah i love love going on a good walk man it's nice nice walk just hour hour and a half or so man it's just the best it's a long ass walk yeah. <laughs> oh, i love it man no, that's that's incredible. I wish I, I I should start going out uh for longer walks. Maybe maybe I'll say no, I will start going on longer walks. I mean, how far are you from the beach? Or no, you're in Hawaii, man. You gotta you gotta be out there. Yeah, well, I, I live like, you know, hundred yards from the beach. So There you go, man. Yeah, but that's not that far. It's only a hundred yard walk. <laughs> I mean, you're, the beach is long. Yeah. That is true. Um yeah, so I, actually I, I know I said just one more thing would be luck. I, I, if you have time, I would also love to touch on the community building. Absolutely, That's something man. that I think is so important. And I, I can't believe I, I uh, was about to end this podcast without having talked about it. So no worries, man. Nah, absolutely. Um, so obviously you have the podcast. You also do these incredible office hours. I'd love to hear about uh a little bit about your view of the community and data science, how important it is to grow that. And also, you know, how you thought of some of these different things, how you got involved in the content side. Yeah. So like I was mentioned before, I was, uh, I do office hours for, for data science dream job. Right. So I've been a mentor at data science dream job since uh, February, 2019. And it wasn't until February, 2020 if i have my dates right yeah it wasn't until february 2020 um where i was like shit man like like i'm doing great work at day science dream job i love doing the office hours but i, I could be doing more like i could be impacting more people um and it, it wasn't until i think february february 2020 i probably only had like a thousand people on linkedin thousand connections or so maybe two thousand at the most um and yeah man not it, it just happened by accident, I guess. Like I wasn't, I didn't set out, it wasn't an intention to build a community. It wasn't an intention for me to even ever become a mentor. This thing just kind of happened, right? It, it just happened because of the, my character, my actions and and helping people. Um, I'm not doing a good job answering your question, but, but the thing is, it's just, I wanted to help people, right? And I knew that if I, stayed limited to just doing work at data science stream job, I wouldn't have as big as an impact as I knew that I could have. So I decided, let me do these open office hours things and see if anybody will, will come to them, see if anybody will show up. And I think it'll be a great way for me to, you know, interact with, with the listeners of my show and, and, you know, get to, get to know more people. Um, and it did, man. And it turned out like it, it became bigger than I ever imagined, right? Not not to say that these happy hours are, are huge or anything, but a lot of cool people come by, right? You come by, Vin comes by. Like I've had Sri Vatsan, Srinivasan come by, Dave Langer, Tom Ives, like, you know, Ben Taylor, Greg Coquillo, all these people just coming and hanging out like at my house every Friday, pretty much, right? That's what it feels like. Um, and it's, it's cool, man. And uh, it just happened by accident. Like there was, none of that was intentional. Um, and I just happened to just create a space in time where people come together and they just talk about things. It's the best thing ever. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I've met an incredibly, incredible amount of awesome people. 
I've met some of podcast guests for for even my show. I'm just sniping yeah. your audience. <laughs> Go for it, man. Go uh, for it. No, but I, I I love it. It you know to me, a lot of the content that I produced, and I have no problem saying it. It 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 was selfish, right? Mm-hmm. I made content that I had wish I had had. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like that selfish motive of like understanding is not selfish in the sense that I was like greedy about it. It was selfish that it was like internally pointed, right? I was trying to find, um, you know, I'm try- I was trying to give the things that I wish that I had had. And mm-hmm. I think by creating an office hour setting, there has to be something in you that was like, wow, I wish I had this place where I could have gone and asked a bunch of these questions to a yeah. bunch of experts. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yep. like, no duh, right? Um, yeah. And that's okay. I think that like those types of motivations, looking to understand yourself or help the the person who you were out from two, three, five, ten years ago, is an unbelievably valid way to to approach business, to approach community building, to approach almost any endeavor, um, which is is really cool and just remind us when are the office hours and and how can people sign up on those yes yeah, so uh currently have two office hours there's one on friday called the data science happy hours and uh that's friday 4 30 p.m central time so you guys can do the time conversion figure out what that is uh, in your time zone and you can just go to uh uh bit.ly so bit.ly forward slash a d s o h They'll Artist, be linked in the description science. as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, and then the other one I do is with um, it's a sponsored spot with Comet. And they uh, they're awesome folks, man. They got a great product. I really, really enjoy uh working with them. And they, you know, they, they're sponsoring a Sunday office hour session uh that's just called the Comet ML uh, office hours. That's every Sunday at 11 a.m. Central Time. And same thing, bit.ly forward slash comet all lowercase c-o-m-e-t dash m-l dash o-h and um yeah i mean you know there's the thought that just came to mind right like even though it is accidentally accidental unintentional that created this community if i reflect back on uh there's other areas of my life right like every time i go home and visit sacramento right all my friends have come together and they tell me do we never get together like this, it's usually, you know, only when you're in town that we get together, like, you know, I'm bringing these people together. When I was working in, in Chicago, like the coworkers that I worked with, none of them ever really hung out together, but I brought us all together and we'd be hanging out like multiple times a week, this wildly diverse group of people. Um, and I think I just carry that over now into, in, into data science now. It's like, I always, I think I've always kind of been like a connector type of person. I'd always would bring people together and yeah, I think that's just manifested itself in terms of these, in, given our 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 digital age and you know the the COVID situation and all that stuff. I just made it really easy to to do that. Um, so I feel like this is probably something that's just always been kind of part of who I am. I really like that. I think that tying the things that we like or who we are into our work, into a profession, or even you know getting paid to do those types of things. That's an incredible gift. And yeah. I think in, in some sense, anyone can attach some of those things to their work. Maybe not everything, but there's there's definitely some beauty and some simplicity there. And again, I think that that takes some introspection to be able to do that and some study and some self-study. I made a video, hopefully coming out soon, that's sort of about meta-learning 
and mm-hmm. like studying the the system of learning is really important but just like that studying yourself and studying what makes you happy is really important in, yeah. in landing in, in finding a job or finding a career or finding a life that that you are really excited about living every day yeah. Yeah. i try to piggybacking off that's just finding those unique intersections of things where you can be really good at right like i had been like I, I, I was doing office hours for two years before i started doing the open office hours right and i, I didn't know that that skill set of doing those office hours those private office hours would allow me to do them on, on a much more open and massive scale right um so just combining combining skills in terms of just uh, the the skill of not being afraid to be in front of the camera and just talk to people with the skill of bringing people together, you know, that creates these, these spaces that I've somehow managed to, to create. I don't know where I was going with that, man, but hopefully that made sense. No, it made perfect. Sense. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I am crazy, but I will. So we've gone a little long. You think we should touch on luck as well, or should we leave that for a potentially a part two? One man, I'm up. Yeah, I'm down for down for whatever, man. But when it comes to luck, dude, you just got to know that you create your own luck, right? There's there's multiple types of luck. Uh, the first luck is the, the the kind of luck that I think we all think about, and that's that's fortune, that's fate, that's when something completely out of your control happens to you, right? You win the lottery, you can't really control that. You're born into the family you're born into, you can't really control that. You know things that are completely outside of your control and that was the type of luck that i just always felt victim to I always felt like i had bad luck always felt that way i realized that i can actually create my own luck right and you create your own luck through the actions that you take right um so just biting naval ravikant right he talks about you build your character in a certain way and then your character becomes your destiny right I, he might have been quoting heraclitus on that one um, character becomes your destiny, right? So he talks about these different levels of luck. So we talked about type one luck and there's type two luck when you're just out there doing a bunch of stuff. You just, you know, you're involved in a lot of things. You're kicking up dust, you're, you're hustling and all the dust is kicking up and everything's combining in these interesting ways. And, you know, you, you find yourself at, at these intersections where you can capitalize on luck. Then there's the other type of luck, type three luck, when you just get really, really good at something and because you get really good at, at something you're able to just to see a few steps ahead of where everybody else is at where your entire peer group group is at and you can kind of intuit where something's going to go or how something's going to happen right um and that's that type three luck it's really interesting luck that it's you that gain data science through. luck that's the data science luck you're talking about yeah that you just get really good at at a at a thing really good in the field where you can anticipate things that are about to happen and then the most interesting type of luck is this this type four luck where it's you develop a unique skill set, unique mindset, a unique brand where that you can start capitalizing on other people's luck, right? And that's that's I think the the most interesting type of luck. And that's a luck that I'm really trying hard to build. Um I was I always felt like I was a victim of type two luck. I've been leveraging type, I'm sorry, I always felt like I was a victim of type one luck, that fortune, that fate, that blind luck. I've been working hard at type two luck, but now I think I've developed such a unique brand, a unique mindset, a unique character where people are starting to come to me for opportunities, right? People are coming to me because they think I'm the right person for the job, 
just because just I got built, I built myself, like, you know, does, does that make sense? I built my character and now my character is becoming my destiny. So how do you view luck? So I love the framework. Who is it that, that created that again? Uh, so Naval Ravikant talks about Naval. that, but he's, yeah, he's, he's uh, paraphrasing and coding off of this other book, uh, Chase, Chance, and Creativity by a guy's last name is Austin. And uh, yeah, Chase, Chance, and Creativity, he talks about these four different types of lucks in that book. And he's, uh, Austin is like a, um, a brain surgeon. And he talks, he's specifically talking about luck in the medical field. Um, so yeah, uh, Chase, Chance, Creativity was uh, that book, but then uh, Mark Andreessen wrote a blog post about that same thing. And then Naval Ravikant talked about it in his uh in, in this podcast he has in the Naval podcast and kind of put his own framework to it. Um, and so I'm quoting Naval, but it's, he's, he's standing on the shoulders of a lot of the giants. Yeah. So, so I think we even have more control over luck than that. I think we have control over type one luck as well. Um, I, I've always felt that I'm lucky. I've always felt that things are going to turn out, but that's because every scenario that I've, I've been into, I've, you know, unintentionally or maybe even intentionally done a great job of um, explaining to myself why it was good luck instead of bad luck. You know, for example, I, uh, you know, like something doesn't go your way, you know, something terrible happens. And the idea is that maybe you're lucky that that happened to you because you can handle it. And, you know, you're, you're capable of getting over something like that rather than if that had happened to someone else, it might've completely crushed them or, or ruined their life. Uh, or, you know, like the way that you frame these things, I think you can make almost every bad thing into luck. I mean, again, the worst thing that happened to me, um, my cousin passing away, uh, which we touched on earlier, is that like in some sense, I am fortunate that that happened because it was able to transform my mind, build motivation in me and create all of these positive things from that. Obviously, I, I, I don't think I would ever, you know, trade a life for that but at the same time if it had to be done you know like I, i'm glad it had the impact and i was able to see the good luck in in what happened there um yeah. i mean i would say that's character right there that's your that's the that little bit of type four luck where it's you know your character unique mindset because the type one luck is you know like my son being born to to me as a dad at this stage of my life right like if he would have been born to me five years ago, things would have been different. Like I would have been a completely different person. Um, you know, he he didn't control that, but now he's lucky because he's got this version of me as his dad. And he's got, I mean, his, my wife's always been phenomenal and always awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's luck. Like that's that type of one. Like we're just, you can't, he can't control that. Right. Um, yeah. He can't control it, but he could control as he gets older, how he, he feels about that. Right. He could say yeah, that, yeah. You know, let's say that he was born to you five years ago and he could say, you know, wow, I'm, you know, I was lucky that I, I had maybe uh, less oversight from my dad because he was still learning about himself so mm -hmm. that I could develop more autonomy. And it, it, I mean, I, you're right. That is something that you cultivate in the way that you choose to interpret type one luck. Um, yeah. But th that's something I found to be unbelievably powerful in my life for the longest time is that, um, you know, whatever happens to me, good or bad, I know that I will overcome it. I, I just have 
some strange, maybe like broken belief in my head that things are going to work out. And, um, you know, you still have to work for them, right? To get what you, you want. Have to, but, yeah, you have to, you have to. If, if I'm doing the right steps, it might not be, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly religious, but, uh, and I don't believe in destiny or faith, but I do believe that over the long term, you know, things take care of themselves. Things work out as long as you put in the hard work and I've yet to be proven wrong by myself. So yeah, no, it's hundred percent true, man. A lot of life to live to. though. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, man. Hopefully, hopefully a good, good 50, 60 years ahead for you, man. That'd, that'd be a, uh, we're talking two, 300 years. Big, oh shit. <laughs> that's what's up. Nice. Let's see. All right. I think that's a, a great place to end. Harpreet, this is yeah, awesome. Man. I always yeah. enjoy our chats. Uh, where, where can everyone reach you? Where can they find out more? I'll, I'll link all of these things below in the description as well. Yeah, definitely. So LinkedIn is, it's my kind of bread and butter, you know, social media of choice at, at this point in time. So definitely look me up on LinkedIn. I uh, just Harpreet Sohota. I'm starting to try to build my Instagram out. So that's data science harp, H-A-R-P. Uh, I've got Twitter as well, artists of data on Twitter and uh, YouTube. I got you know all my stuff is on YouTube as well. Um, that's the artist of data science. Um, so all 150,000 of you Kenji followers go subscribe to that channel. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna follow you on uh, on Instagram now. I just made okay. an Instagram. Nice, awesome. Science Harp H A R P A R P. Found him. Oh, he's got the professional photo. Oh, pretty big <laughs> following, man. Yeah, it's been not not too bad. It's like a thousand some people. Yeah, I started posting I'm again. Like Fifty. So I started posting again, and people started unfollowing me. Like I started posting again earlier this week after like a long break, and then I lost like fifty followers. I'm like, what? That's the opposite of what should happen. Uh, but yeah, all I, I try good, my best. My dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I greatly enjoyed this and we'll end it here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors. Many of you have been asking about how you can support the show, and we're extremely grateful for all the engagement so far. The best way that you can show your support is to subscribe to both the Ken's Nearest Neighbors and the Ken's Nearest Neighbors Clips YouTube channels. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Music, giving us a rating and sharing any of the episodes with someone that you believe might find the content useful is also greatly appreciated. The Ken's Nearest Neighbors podcast is hosted by me, Ken G, produced by Bobby Hicks, and is edited by Mario Paul and Tony Pellaridi.